What we want to know is when there's religion showing up in our lives or we're doing things in a religious way, you know, because it's, it's sneaky, you know, religious, the religious spirit is sneaky. You know, you think because you have a drum set and electric guitar at church that you're not religious because you attend there, but that's a lie, you know, and I keep on finding out, you know, through the years, I'm like, oh, that was a religious mindset. That was a religious behavior that I've been, you know, that was a religious belief that has been driving certain things in my life. And I want to get rid of that. And so we said a few things you have to uh, listen to last week. If you didn't, you know, Jesus is perfect theology. If you want to know what is the right thing, you know, like what is for today, look at the life of Jesus. And it's very simple. Study his life. What did he do? He did some amazing things, but a lot of it was different. Say with me, different, right? He did different things. And, And the religious people didn't like it because religious people like the traditions of men. And we said religion is man-made rules with no purpose, right? Traditions with no purpose. You have to do this, have to do that. It has to look this way. It can't be that way. There's only one way to do communion. You can only get baptized in water when and if only you do this and go through that, right? And, and, and we think that this is God's word. And that's what had happened in the time of Jesus. Jesus came and said to them, it's like, you guys have made up a bunch of uh, traditions of men, but you have forgotten like what is... What's true? What, what's the truth? So Jesus came, you know, to save, to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what the Bible tells us, right? He came to seek and to save what was lost. And what was lost was a connection with God. And so that's what we're called to. We're called to a real personal relationship with Jesus day to day. We're not called to be part of a church just for the sake of attending somewhere and feeling good about ourselves and making our life better. We're, we're called to be part of a church because it's, it's community, because it's a family of God, because we were all created for family. But church is the place where we gather, it's the place where we worship, it's the place where we, where we learn together, where we grow together, where we practice things. But you're called to a personal relationship with Jesus outside of these walls. And a lot of people don't know that or don't do that. And so when we look at the life of Jesus, we, we understand, and, and you see, and you go, well, that was different, but that's Jesus, so that must be right, right? Because Jesus came not to show us everything God could do, but he came to show us what a man or a woman full of the Holy Spirit and submitted to God can do, right? Do you know that Jesus didn't heal everybody? Jesus only healed everybody who came to him with faith. He healed everybody that came to him. But not the whole world wasn't healed. But God can heal the whole world, right? So that gives us understanding. He came to show us, hey, this is what you're all going to be able to do when I leave and give you the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I'm going to write down a few things about religion and, and things like that because I want us to be able to identify, um, you know, what what is Jesus... And what is just man-made, made-up stuff? Are you okay with that? Made-up stuff, you know? Okay, so, real easy. Okay, so we have Jesus on one side. On the other side, we have just religion. You know, in that day, I uh, I told you that it was the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? One of the... Uh, the expressions or one of the results of religion is division, <laughs> you know? 
religion produces division because the more rules you create, you know, the, the, the more people are missing the rules. You know, if I have one rule, most people are, are going to be okay, right? But if I have two rules, well, and if I have 10 rules, if I have 100 or 400 or 600, what happens? There's more opportunities to miss it, right? That's why control doesn't work. That's why a government that tries to control everyone is ultimately going to end up as a dictatorship, as communism. Because there's no end to control. There's no end to controlling anything. And Jesus didn't do that. I mean, he put one rule in the beginning. Like there was one tree that you couldn't eat from. Just one. And they still messed it up. And I know all of you think about this, well, if that was me, I wouldn't have done that. I doubt that. You know? Like, so it doesn't matter if it's one or if it's 10 or 400 or 600 laws that that were established. We we can't fulfill them all. Right? At, At some point, we're going to miss it. So we needed a Savior. The law came to show us we needed a Savior. We needed a Redeemer. It's like, Look, once you started finding out what was right and what was wrong, and your conscience was awake to sin, you know, which is what happened when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you know, it's like their, their, their mind was open to seeing that was right, that was wrong. And so when you know that is when you can miss it. If you don't know that there's a rule, you're not really guilty of breaking it because you had absolutely no knowledge, no conscience about it, and you couldn't make a decision whether to uphold it or not. Is that right? But when you become aware of it, now you know better, right? Like, Like we say to our kids all the time, you knew better. You knew better. So that's why the law, we can't live under the law. Because you're never going to be good enough. You're never going to fulfill all the commandments. I'm not, you're like, well, I can do the 10. At least I can do the 10. You, you can't do the 10. <laughs> you didn't anyways already. Like, it's too late. You're like, all right, reset, start again. It's not like a video game. <laughs> so the law came to frustrate us as a humanity just to show us, like, this is really hard. You need a savior, and that's Jesus, right? So Jesus came, fulfilled the law, and empowered us with grace so that we could live a righteous life, but that we wouldn't be condemned under the law. Because the purpose of it was never to say, wrong, 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 disqualify, disqualify. The purpose of, of it all was to show us we need a relationship with him that, was, that we were designed for from the very beginning. So anyways, uh, I'm going to just point out a few things here on, on the board. Jesus, okay, he came. He's the expression of the love of God, right? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, right? So what was the motivation of sending Jesus? Love, right? So love is the motivation. He loved, therefore, Jesus came. And we said last week, um, it tells us in the book of John that with Jesus came grace and truth, right? So he brought grace and he brought truth. He is the very person of grace, right? And he is the way, the truth, and the life. 
tells us in um, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me, right? Through Jesus. But what is religion founded on? Well, if you think about the law, right? These guys were given the law and then they added more law to control the law and to make, you know, it's like you need more laws to make sure that the law is happening. And, and like I said, there's no end to that. You know, like it'll always continue to want more and more and more and more. It's a machine that is never ending. And so religion was founded on the law, right? And these people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious people, they lived under something that motivated them to say, we got this right, everybody else is wrong. No, and this, uh, uh, the Sadducees meant the right ones, right? Yeah. We're the right ones. Like, we, we are the, you're, we're right, everybody else is wrong. And then there was other religious groups like the Pharisees, right? And the Pharisees said, we are the set-apart ones. We are different than everybody, right? So who's right? They're both trying to uphold the law. They have different views and different perspectives of it, and they're interpreting it all different, right? Well, they're saying they are, and they're saying they're not, but they're both judging everybody else. And then Jesus shows up, and it's like, they're going crazy. Because he's doing everything different. He's not with the Sadducees. He's not with the Pharisees. He's not with the normal people. He's completely different. And yet, he's full of power. And so religion is motivated by fear. Fear drives religion. And it's the fear of not being good enough, messing up, right? Being deceived. Do you know it's easier to trust the Holy Spirit to lead you to all truth than live scared of a deceptive spirit? <laughs> and so religion is based on fear, right? Why were they... Why did they create a group that said we're the right ones? Because we're afraid that anything outside of this will send us to hell. We're afraid that, you know, that we're, that we're going to uh, uh, break the law. We're afraid that we're going to be condemned. We're afraid, like, it's fear that is driving religion all the time. And, you know, the thing is that the religious spirit just infiltrates in through every area of your life, right? Because you're like, well, why do I care about theology and all this stuff? Like, how does this apply to my life? You could be religious in your marriage. You could be religious in your parenting. You could be religious in the way you do relationships, right? Because anything that is motivated from fear instead of love is not of Jesus. I've had this, actually, I just took it off. I had a bracelet on for like a year that said, what is love saying? You know, just reminding me all the time, what is love saying? And so, um, and then we also said that Jesus came and his message was repent because now the kingdom of heaven is at, is at hand, it's near. We said, what does that mean, right? Religion, fear leads you to repent from everything that you did wrong, right? Like all the sacrifices and everything was, was to atone for the sins, to cover the sins. But there was no solution for how are we going to live a righteous life. It was all on their own. All depending on their performance, all depending on their works, right? And so 
repentance is not just from the law, but it's repentance to something, right? And what is, it's his ways, right? He is the way, the truth, and the life. So repent, I forgot to put repent here. Repent. So repentance has changed our way of thinking. So Jesus' message was repent, there's a new way. What's the new way? He goes, me. <laughs> What's the truth? Me. <laughs> right? You want life? Yes, me too. <laughs> right? You want to go to the Father? Through me. <laughs> it's all Jesus. It's always Jesus. <laughs> only Jesus saves. Only Jesus heals. Only Jesus gave his life, defeated death, conquered the grave, rose again. Right? It's always Jesus and only Jesus. But sometimes we mix them up, right? So how do I differentiate when I'm, you know, operating, you know, not like Jesus, but under fear, you know, under religious spirit? Because the problem with the religious spirit is that it, it, it steals life. How do I know that? Well, the religious people are try, always trying to kill Jesus. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So religion will suck the life out of you. <laughs> religion will suck the life out of your marriage. Religion will suck the life out of your relationships. Anything I do, you know, from religion, from fear, is not of Jesus. Therefore, it cannot produce life. And it will not lead me to truth, because Jesus is truth. So therefore, I will still, I will stay blind. Religion blinds you. Are you getting anything this morning? Okay. I know my handwriting is not great, like. Sean McKay, man, you should see. I need him to pray for me for the handwriting, whiteboard writing anointing. He's phenomenal. Um, so, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent because guess what? It's not just repent because you mess it up. It's repent because you're repenting to a new way. He's saying there's a new way, there's a new kingdom, things are changing, it's going to be awesome. That's Jesus, right? Jesus is, is awesome. And everything with him is awesome. Like, there's, there's no other way. Like, he did everything. To, he came to rock the boat, right? I love it. Like, he's like, we're just going to change things up a little bit. And some of you are going to get scared, but, you know, it's everything I see my father do is what I'm doing. So if you want to see the father, just pay attention, right? Okay. Um. Romans 12, 2, right? Repentance. Not just from something, but now to something. And that to me was a huge, huge point. Because repentance for a long time, the religious way is like repent from, from, from. But never tells us repent to. You know, it's like we frustrate grace when we, when we mix it with religion. We take away the power of the word if we're trying to hold up the law and, and performing and, and our works, right, to become righteous instead of just him. Because he is everything. The cross is a finished work. He, he did it all. And how do we get all? By putting our faith in that finished work, in him, in Jesus. See, I, I, I preached a message of, uh, a few months ago or last year. I don't even know what year we're in. Uh, it's still 2020, I think. Um, and, and it was about grace because a lot of people think that grace is just like the rope that pulls you out of the pit. It's like, okay, you're good now. You know, you were in a hole, now you're out of the hole. And you think that's the end of grace. But that's not the grace that Jesus 
came to bring. That grace is empowerment. Grace is the rocket fuel that launches you into your destiny and allows you to live a righteous life and do everything that God called you to do. But most people are just used, you know, they're fine with like, oh, thank you for that grace, you know. Now I'm not a sinner anymore. And it, that, that puts you apart. But the grace that Jesus came to give us was an empowerment for us to do everything that we're called to do. That's why he said, right, these things and greater shall you do if you believe. Why can, how can we do that, right? Because of his grace, because of his power. How do we deserve the Holy Spirit and all this stuff? Why do I deserve all these things? Because of grace. Grace has empowered us and qualified us. It made us worthy and made us righteous and put us in right standing. We no longer have to become right by our own account. We become right by lining up with him. That's why last week I said so much. There, there's, there's such an emphasis and people love to be right. And there's nothing wrong with being right. But it's the value that we put on it. And sometimes we throw our whole identity and our everything into being right. And we forget we've already been made right. There's not one wrong bone in your body. Because he made you right. So how do you know if you're religious in your marriage? Do you need a clue? Preaching. Right? If you have to be right. Because see, these guys, the religious people, they had to be right. They had to be right. And they're exclusiveness in thinking they were 100% right and everybody else was wrong, cut everybody else out. In your need and your value to be right, you will cut people out. You will cut your wife out. You will cut your kids out. You will cut out your friends. Because you need to be right. Hey, sorry, I was right. Yeah, now you're alone. See, Jesus protected connection more than he protected to be right. He didn't come to say who was right and who was wrong. He came to bring us righteousness through his work. He is the only righteous one. And when you put your faith in him, you jump on his boat, you're automatically righteous. Isn't he good? That's why you're like, this is too good to be true. I don't know. This is too good to be true. I think we need to find another church because I don't, I'm not feeling bad about myself. Yeah. The gospel means the good news. And they're not just good. They're the best news. <laughs> they're the best news. There's no news better than the gospel. So therefore, it must feel like too good to be true, especially when we live in a world where you've been deceived and disappointed so many times, right? So it feels really good, but it is true, right? Because he is truth also. 
I love Jesus. He's so good. Man, I made this drawing too small. Um, what does this do? Uh, religion and fear don't lead you to repentance because goodness, right, leads us to repentance. His goodness leads us to repentance. But religion and fear lead us to condemnation. And why does it lead us to condemnation? Because then once we're condemned, then we can be punished. <laughs> so my question to you today, are you a punisher or are you a restorer? Jesus came to seek and to save all that was lost, right? The religious, they, they wanted, you know, to do this so that they could separate the right ones from the wrong ones, so they could bring condemnation to, to, to these people, right? And so that they could be punished. And so one of the expressions of the law of a religious spirit is, is punishment. So if you look at your relationships, if you look at your marriage, if you look at the way you parent, you know, are you a punisher well, I was raised that, raised that way. <laughs> but you didn't know better. They didn't know better. You know better now. Everything changes when you know better. You're accountable for it now. That's why a lot of people don't want to know anymore. They're like, la, 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 la. let me live in my... So are you a punisher, right? How do I punish? Well, you know, if you're not right, if you're offended, you punish. You know, some people punish by, you know, ignoring, uh, running away, changing the attitude towards people, right? Talk to the hand. I'm going to ghost you. And like, or maybe, I don't know, maybe you just completely cut them off, right? Well, that's a religious way to do it, you know, but what's Jesus' way? Well, let's read uh, John uh, chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse... Are you having fun this morning? Yes. You shouldn't be. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm glad you are. So, John seven fifty three. There's a song, a really old song by Lyndall Cooley, uh, uh, it says, then the Savior came, and he changed everything. <laughs> I love that. Because he did. He changed everything. I mean, if we, if we lived under the law, we'd, we would be hopeless. Because there was no hope under the law. You could never be good enough. You were, you were in the hole, and then you were out. And, and your sins were only covered. They weren't wiped away. Because the blood of animals could not wipe away the sins of man. It could only atone. It could only cover them. But the blood of Jesus wiped them away completely. As if it had never happened. That's what justified means. We've been justified by faith, by the blood of Jesus. Just as if it had never happened. Isn't that amazing? Like, so many people don't feel righteous. Because they're constantly hearing the voice of condemnation, right? They're driven by fear that says, you're not good enough, you messed up again, never going to make it. Well, it's because you're a sinner. Yeah, you're saved by grace, but you're a sinner saved by grace. 
And for as long as religion can keep you thinking that way, you're never going to live past your belief. Like Matt Menino says, you can never outperform a belief system, right? But when we upgrade our belief system to Jesus 2.0, right? It's like, that's gone. I'm not a sinner. I am a saint. I'm, I am righteous by the blood of Jesus. I was, I was a sinner. I became saved. Now I am righteous. I'm fully righteous. And when you change your belief system and you line it up to Jesus' ways, his truth, right, sets you free and you start experiencing life. You start going the right way. Like, it's everything that comes with Jesus. John 7.53 says, wait, what am I doing? Where am I? Well, I guess it, it is, <laughs> we're going into eight, <laughs> sorry. Okay, what, 753, I don't know why they broke it up like this. Then each went to his own home, okay. <laughs> Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, chapter eight, verse one. <laughs> he's like, are we going home? <laughs> is that what he's saying? <laughs> but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down, I want you to picture this, okay. Jesus is in the temple courts. He sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, okay, the religious people, brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Okay, so this is pretty bad. Okay? Because obviously this woman was in sin, right? She, I mean... She was sleeping with another guy that wasn't her husband. Okay, that's what adultery is. And they caught her. Even worse. You know, so who knows if she even dragged a sheet or something. But they dragged this woman out and they brought her in public in front of Jesus, right? Now, why do they do this? Because by the law, you know, in the law, they had the right to do this. And actually, the punish for that was to be stoned to death. That's pretty harsh, right? But that's what the law said. And so it said, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. That's a lot of shame, right? That's really embarrassing. You know, let me tell you something. Sin always embarrasses us. Sin will always embarrass us. I've experienced it, right? I was a teenager. Sin embarrassed me. Badly. I can't tell you that story because we don't have time. <laughs> Should we make time? I'll give you the short version. I was about 15 years old. My dad let me go to a party. My school friend, somebody's house, right? And I knew, you know, I'm a Christian. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't do, I don't do bad things, right? I'm supposed to be a light. And oh, was I a light. And, um, and, you know, I lied to my parents because they asked me when I got home, were you a light? Did you, did you behave? You know, they know that my, some of my friends were drinking. They know some of them were smoking, right? So I smelled like cigarette, you know. But um, I, um, I forgot we're live streaming. They know this one, okay. So, 
And you'll, you'll see why they know this one, right? So, so I did both. I had a drink in one hand and I had a cigarette in the other hand. And I couldn't look more stupid. I'm like, I'm telling you, you know. And so my friends are videotaping this, okay. Now, there's no Facebook then. There's no live streaming. None of that stuff, right? But one of them has one of these big honking cameras, right? And he's, he's just like, hey, dude, say hello. Say hello. And I'm like, hello, you know. Anyways, next week at school, you know. My friend's like, look, I brought the video. Who wants this? You know, big VHS thing. It's like, who wants it? You know, so they're passing it. I'm like, hey, I, I want it tomorrow. Yeah, I want to watch tomorrow. I want to see the party. And so I get it the next day, and I take it home. And while my parents are at Bible study, <laughs> I go in the room, put it in the VCR, close the door, watch it. I'm like, look at her, you know. It's, I'm like embarrassed to think about it now. I just look so dumb, right? So dumb. But it's like, oh, whatever, that's cool, you know. Turn it off, night's over, go to sleep. My parents arrive home from Bible study, whatever. Next day, come back from school, they're like, hey, come here, into our room. I'm like, hey, what's up? He's like, look. And he plays, plays the TV, right? And like, what do you say? Like, that's not me, you know? There's no CGI back then. There's no way to get out of that, right? And so there I am on video, and they're watching it with me. They're like, look, you, I think you forgot this in here. I'm like, I forgot the video in there, right? And so I got caught, and I got grounded for six months. Six months of not going out with any friends, right? There's nothing I could say in my defense. Sin will always embarrass you. Sin will always embarrass you. It's like, it's the sting, you know? Like, it comes back and it just bites you in the back, right? It always does. But it's always looking to condemn you and to punish you. And, you know, my parents didn't punish me. They weren't angry. They just were like, all right, well, you know, here's your consequences, you know? Because actions have consequences. And that's a big difference between punishing and having consequences is, is that consequences are in love, you know? It's like, you're teaching your kids, like, there's, there's a consequence to what you did, you know, and this is why you broke trust with us, you know, we need to build this again, you know, the, yeah, punishment comes in anger, right, and it's not loving, and punishment is just seeking to be right, right, wrong, punished, you know, that's it, there's no understanding, there's no restoration, but Jesus' heart is for restoration, right, so are you, are you a punisher or are you a restorer, right? Jesus was a restorer. And, um, and so that's, you know, when you, when you do marriage, when you do relationships, when you do parenting, you want to think, what's my motivation? Is it love and do I want to restore or am I just looking to say, I was right, you were wrong, you're punished, that's what the law did. The law just, just wanted to divide and say, you're wrong. Now there's a price you need to pay. You're punished. But there's no hope in that punishment. There's no restoration, right? We're not looking for our kids to know we were right, they were wrong, and they got punished. We're looking for them to have an understanding of what happened, how trust was broken, how the people that loved them got hurt, and how that has consequences that affect all of us. So there's an understanding and we can bring him to restoration because restoration is the goal. 
Right? Jesus came to seek and to save or restore what was lost. He didn't come to say, all right, here I am. I am God, and all of you missed it. So you're all wrong, and you're going to get punished. No, he came to make a way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we find truth, it sets us free. Jesus sets us free. But it's not just repent from the bad beliefs. It's repent to the new ways, which is the ways of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus did things very different than a lot of the church does in today's world. We preach grace because it's a fad, but we don't practice it in our leadership. We don't practice it in the way that we treat one another. So, we haven't finished this story. Let's hurry up. We moved to my story. So this was pretty embarrassing, right? She got caught in adultery. Who knows if she was clothed or not? And she was dragged in public, okay? So her humiliation started. I want you to see the purpose behind them was to say she was wrong. This is what the law says. Let's punish her. She's done. And in this case, it was punishable by stoning of death to death, okay? And then it says, um, verse 5, In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Right? They were always trying to test Jesus. See, the religious spirit is always trying to test and divide. Ha, I knew you didn't believe like I did. We're not friends anymore. Ha, I knew you, you were wrong. I knew you didn't know the answer to that. <laughs> and what is that? All of those things are seeking to make me right and you wrong. And we forget that we are made right by our faith in Jesus. You're already right. So that takes away the value we put in being right, and it takes away the need to be right, and it protects and preserves connection, which is what Jesus came to do. And so verse 6 says, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus, right? But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Another mystery. Lots of ideas of what he could have been writing down, right? I mean, we don't know. So we're not going to make a theology on it. Some people say that maybe he was starting to write down the sins of some of the accusers, right? Some say he was playing tic-tac-toe. I don't know. Doesn't matter. But then he said, verse 7, When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, I want to make a, a note here. When he says, if any of you is without sin, you know, I was thinking like, interesting, because with this, Jesus is also saying that sin is sin. Right? Like whether it was the sin of not washing your hands before you eat, because that was in the law then, right? It should be in the law now. It's more effective than a lot of things. And whether it was not washing your hands or whether it was committing adultery, Jesus was making a statement here that was saying, hey, sin is sin. Amen. And it disqualifies you completely, no matter what size or how often it was sin. You know why? Because grace is also grace. 
His grace for a criminal with a record of a horrendous, violent life is the same grace and the same amount of blood of Jesus required for someone who has never killed a fly. Grace is also grace. Because one sin, breaking the law once, you're done. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Old Testament taught. But then grace, one moment in the life in, in, uh, by the blood of Jesus, and you're saved, and you're made right with God, and you're given eternal life, and you're forgiven 100% of your sins. Which is why in the Bible we have the examples like the thief who was at the, on the cross hanging next to Jesus about to die too. And Jesus like, you know, to that guy, because he was humble and he repented, and he tells him, all right, you're going to be in paradise with me today. It's like, whoa, what? Like, did he even pray the prayer? <laughs> Anybody saw him? He didn't get on his knees, go down to the altar and get baptized. Like, how's that fair? Let me tell you something. The kingdom is not fair. It's righteous. The kingdom of God is not fair like you and I think of fairness but it's righteous. And people that like everything fair have a harder time and are more religious. And I'm not saying that, you know, that we make an effort on not being fair, you know. But when we look through the eyes of everything has to be fair and equal to everyone, like, we're off the path of Jesus because Jesus wasn't fair like we think is fair. He had 12 disciples and he had three that were closest to him. Why were those three closer to him? That's not fair. <laughs> Sorry if that's you. <laughs> See, with your kids, you can't be fair with all of them because they're all different. You know, I thought it all had to be fair, broken up in three equal parts, or in my case, five. Right? Six. Like, it's not. They're different. Why did you buy him something and not me? I don't know. They asked me. <laughs> See, we think we have an idea of a communist God, but he's not communist. He's a king. He's a king. Sorry, we're killing some sacred cows this morning. But that's okay. I'm going to be done in a couple of minutes here. <laughs> so, verse 9. At this, those who heard began to go away. One at a time. The older ones first. Interesting. The older ones first. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go away and leave your life of sin. What is that? Like we see Jesus deal with a sin that needed capital punishment in a completely different way. Because they were looking for condemnation and punishment to make them right, Jesus was looking for restoration. And only love can do that. 
If there's not a heart of love, it's not, an, um, not a motivation of love, you can't restore anything. Because it takes the eyes of God of love to be able to see something restored before it even gets restored. And then, what does he tell him? He tells her, repent, right? There's no way. Change what you're doing, woman. Change what you're thinking, right? You're going to have some trouble back home. <laughs> Leave your life of sin, right? He's not, he's not endorsing sin. He's not facilitating sin. He's empowering her through love and grace to live a different life, right? To go a different way, which is the ways of Jesus. She's like, repent, change what you did, and sin no more. Why? Because Jesus' heart is for restoration. He wishes that none should perish, but that everybody would have everlasting life. Right? He's right. He's righteous. Raise your hand if you're righteous. See? Good. Good. Why are we righteous? Because we put our faith in Jesus. So by faith, I've been made righteous. Right? He transferred his righteousness to me. Have you ever inherited something? Who's inherited something here? Okay, you inherited something. Did you work your whole life to earn it? Nope. Right? That's the basis of an inheritance that you inherit something that somebody else paid for and worked for. We have inherited righteousness by putting our faith in Jesus because of what he did for us. Ooh, that's good. That's exciting to me. We could never earn it, which is why we worship. Because when you realize this, I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it. Still you give yourself away. Why? Because of love. So that just puts us in a never-ending position of worship and thankfulness to him. That's what I was saying last week. Like When we lose our wonder of God and what he did for us, we're in trouble. Because we are slowly coming into this side that says, well, I, you know, I've been to church for many years, you know. I used to be on fire for God, and I used to ooh, worship really strongly, you know, because I realized that he saved me. But now it's been a few years. And so, like, has anything changed, right? What changed is a certain feeling of entitlement that, well, I've been good enough for so long, so now, and you start leaning or having mindsets that are leaning on your righteousness. And that's self-righteousness. So if you ever lose the wonder and lose the awe of Jesus and the wonder of your salvation, that's when you need to pray and say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. It's all because of what you did and not because of anything I did. Some people think like, well, as long as I'm evil, I'm thankful because I really need him. It's like, no, that's just the mentality pulling you out of the pit. Now his grace empowers you to do everything he called you to do. His plans that are good for you and his future that is good for you. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, right? There's no fear in love. For perfect love, Jesus casts out fear, drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. Punishment. So, I ask you today, are you a punisher? Or are you a restorer? Do you focus on the sin, on the offense, or 
or on the person that God made. You know, when you have a marriage fight, is it about restoring or is it about till somebody wins? Let's see who taps out first. With your kids, right? Is it about being right? Hey, I, I had this, you know, for many years. I was like, all that I cared about was to be right. All that I cared about is that they would know that I was right and they were wrong. Do you know that? Is it clear? You are wrong. I am right. What I say is what matters. Why, that's so messed up. Instead of caring that they have understanding and that they get restored and that their heart receives like, okay, you know, I, like a picture of what's happening. Because I care about the person. I mean, we care about them, right? So they're, well, they're different. You need to come and listen to Bob and Ronnie on Wednesday night. So good. Um. Do you focus on the past hurts and the pain or on the heart, right? Like that person hurt me, that person offended me, right? Or maybe you understand that person is really hurt. To do what they do, to do what they did to me, they must be in a lot of pain, right? What that does, it releases you from that need to be right and need to punish and need to condemn. And you start just walking like Jesus. Free, free from that. Pray for their heart. So ask yourself, is it more important for me to be right or is it more important for me to stay connected? What do I value more? Right? Why do we value more? To be right or to stay connected? Because... Most of the time, you can't do both. That's one of the probably main reasons people leave churches a lot of times. They value more being right or thinking they're right, at least, than being connected. So ask yourself, how did Jesus do it? What would Jesus do? That's why we say Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is perfect theology. Um, here's one more way. And I'm going to close with this. The, the last way uh, is ask yourself, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? Or I'm afraid of this. And it comes down to marriage, relationship, money, serving, church, leadership, anything and everything. What am I afraid of? And if you can fill in that blank, then comes your behavior. Because I'm afraid of, I will do this. I'm afraid of being wrong, so I will fight, I will call names, I will hurt, I will insult, I will break relationship. Whoops, you're operating on the, all this stuff, right? Because fear has to do with punishment. Perfect love casts off fear. There's no fear. There's no need to be right. 
there's no value in being right. Why? Because I'm already righteous. I'm already in right standing with God. I'm afraid of not having enough, so I'll hoard. Right? Fear. When fear is driving you, you're doing those things religiously. I'm afraid of going to hell, so I'll go to church. So start identifying these things, you know, in your life and let's get religion out because religion sucks the life out of us, right? So let's not point out people. Let's not point out others. Let's not, you know, discover the religious and other people's or other things. Identify the religious beliefs and, and behaviors inside of you and just ask God, okay, God, you know, I need to be set free. So what's the truth about this thing? You know, why did I believe that? Why was I saying that? You know, tell me the truth. And he'll, he'll lead you into all truth and set you free from religious. Because that'll kill you. It'll kill life. It'll kill abundance. It'll kill joy. It'll kill peace. Amen? Come on, James. If you, get, if you learn anything at all, give Jesus praise. He's so good.